Hey all, it appears that news moves ever fucking faster. Since we first recorded this podcast, it's come out that a right-wing militia group was planning to kidnap Michigan's governor. We're definitely going to do an episode talking about the dangers of far-right extremism, but we can't record and plan it all in a day. So stay tuned for that and enjoy our thoughts on the debate. to weeks when podcasts happen we're on a roll here because there are just horrible things happening in the world but one of them are these debates and so yeah i'm here again with greg and marcel we're gonna break down uh, a little bit of our thoughts of this kind of joyless and dark timeline that was the vice presidential debate um but yeah i'll give you all a second just introduce yourselves not everybody listens to all our episodes even though we're so popular i think we're up to four dozen listeners but yeah, uh, whoever wants to go first. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Marcelle. She, her pronouns uh, coming to you from the wonderful Chesapeake, Virginia. Yeah, this is Gregory, he, him, coming from just as of a couple hours ago, Detroit, Michigan, uh, just getting back in from Las Vegas. Not flying, though, because that's not safe. We got to be Corona safe. Greg's making it clear he's following the procedure that virtually no politicians are. (laughs) Um, And yeah, my name is Ian. Uh, You see him pronouns. I'm on most of these. Listen to the other ones. Also, I've been uh, trying to tell myself, like and subscribe, whatever the thing is with these things. Share this podcast with other people if you like it. I can only annoy my friends so much, so you should annoy your friends. Um, Like and download. Download, yeah. I I don't know. Any metrics you can think of that would interact with this podcast do those and then share that with somebody else and ask them to do those. So cool. We had a vice presidential debate. Um, yeah, we all, we all listened to it. We all, uh, we all experienced it much, much like a sort of like a, a slow cook of a meal we didn't want to eat. Um, and so I think we're just going to start off again with uh, overall thoughts. Since I'm talking, I'll just jump off with, yeah, I mean, next to the fireworks of like, Trump at full steam, pretending he doesn't have COVID next to Joe Biden. Probably just honestly, let's like step back to that. Trump has COVID, which is fucking hilarious. Um, and his, his everything he has done in the world has at least in some way started to come back to him. The idea that he was on stage and energized by the fact that he might infect others is just sort of a strange thing. But next to that sort of dark, like black hole that was, uh, this this debate was pretty much like the standard, you're lying, no, you're lying, no, we're both lying debate. I think especially from a left perspective, it kind of, I think, repeated the motif of last time where the Republican uh, pushed the Democrat to announce that they were a leftist and the Democrat bravely said that they hated things that I cared about. Um, and so, yeah, hearing that they're not going to ban fracking that is just a fact, like said like three times, very unnecessarily. Um, opposing the Green New Deal, opposing, um, uh, like kind of holding up Obamacare as the end all be all of the change we need on healthcare. Just, yeah, yeah, I think I tweeted about this, which is basically that Mike Pence is really convincing me to support the Democrats. And then Kamala Harris is hopping on screen to be like, no, fuck you, we're not doing that. Um, and so that's pretty much what I took away from this debate is one side being like, your dreams are being fulfilled by the Democrats and the Democrats saying, no, no, we're, 
we're here to bring people together in a vague, abstract way that is still appealing to donors. So that's most of what I got. We'll dig into the categories, uh, but anybody else want to share their overall thoughts? Yes. Um, I was pleased with this debate because of the fact that it was not a screaming, yelling mess of two old white men yelling over each other, trying to yeah make each other look terrible. I felt like it was coherent. Um, I overall am very disappointed in the moderator again uh, because she clearly favored um, Pence, which was very annoying. Pence was allowed to go on for 30, 45, 60 seconds after his time. Um, and he was also just like blatantly disrespectful and like flouting the rules, but whatever. But overall, it was a good performance, I feel like, probably for both of them. Um, but it was definitely good for uh, Kamala. Um, overall, I feel like she held her own. Obviously, she's known for that. But also, I feel like she missed some opportunities to, um, you know, attack on certain things. Like, I mean, come on, like Ian said, coronavirus. The White House is a hot spot. Like, they had a super spreader event. Like, that's a very simple thing that she could have attacked on and she didn't, which is disappointing. But um, I also feel like there was a part of her that was trying to be reserved because of course she's a black woman and um, being a black woman in American politics, just like in life in general is not easy. So there were going to be plenty of opportunities for people to say that she was being, she had an attitude, she was you know, mad, she was being an angry black woman. Um, and people will probably still say that, but overall, I feel like she, you know, struck a very, um, you know, even tone and was able to basically, um, kind of let Pence have it without necessarily coming off as mean or being an attack dog. Yeah, this debate lacked, not just lacked a lot of energy, but just took a lot of energy from me. Like I wasn't as excited uh about any of this i don't know if it was because they were sitting down which also i feel like is a weird choice the way like they have these sort of like teachers desks that they're sitting behind it just yeah not to cut you off but quick note i read that kamala actually wanted to stand up but his team refused so that's why they sat hmm. don't know why that is but which also seems like the the trump pence team made a lot of decisions on this debate the, that moment when the moderator, like the only exciting moment when the moderator kind of went off and was like, your team wanted it like this and this and this, and you're not following the rules. Uh, I digress. There's like, it was just a weird, like very lackluster debate. It almost seemed like most of the time they weren't even talking at each other. Like they weren't debating each other. They were kind of just talking about whatever they wanted to talk about, regardless of whatever the question was, uh, to make whatever point that they wanted to make. And then the like the only time that they would actually address each other was in their thirty segment thirty second segments after which they got to rebuttal. The one thing that I I was hoping Kamala would come in with way more shade than she did. Like I was hoping she would come in with like a mask or something to be like, clearly this man has the virus. This man is surrounded by spreaders, but she just came in like real chill. I was like, nah, this would have been like, the, this would have been the moment to bring the HBCUs, the Howards, the AKAs to the stage and like show out. But instead, she just came in real chill and I was, I was disappointed in that Kamala. If you ever hear this podcast, 
No, she's one of our listeners. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so it was a big get for us. Um, weird choice for her, though. Yeah, with the whole super spreader thing, just before we move on, the image of Donald Trump leaving the hospital and taking off his mask in dramatic lighting at the top of the White House steps legitimately reminds me of, like, the villain reveal in some sort of like horror movie or like some sort of overly dramatic historical movie where they're like oh my god he was secretly hitler it had just this really weird like embracing the supervillain vibe that i think i really wish the democrats could embrace like a positive role with that much gusto like as with everything the republicans seem to know what they are and embrace it and the democrats really can't decide and or are scared of deciding but yeah, it, it was a remarkably cinematic moment, but like for being the evil guys. Um, and now, did you hear about uh, before the debate, they said they saved a chair for Tupac? Uh, the yes. The chair yes. Because Kamala said that her favorite, or who's the best rapper alive? And she said Tupac. So yes, they, they saved a ticket for Tupac. And, and we do know that all the... Uh, really devout hip-hop heads are deciding between these two campaigns and their position on Tupac's existence will decide how they vote in the upcoming month. Um, that's, yeah, that seems like a burn without an audience, but it's good to know that the, the Pence campaign or the Pence efforts are in there swinging. So on coronavirus, um, to, to kick us off again, I think like I think Kamala did a lot better job of hammering him, him on this than Biden did with Trump. I think Kamala did a really good job of just being like, a bunch of people died, you fucked up, this is yours to own. I think she could have been harder on like, these are look at all these other campaigns, uh, or not other campaigns, all these other countries and the way they handled it and the way they were able to avoid like this much darkness. Um, I think Pence had an interesting tack as opposed to Donald Trump's like just sort of stiff arm denial and weird spin around like act that he was doing where or Pence sort of like emphasized that she was somehow disrespecting Americans who tried really hard, um, which is in a way brilliant, I guess, like just sort of being like, we all tried so hard. How dare you disrespect how hard we tried? But I don't think that would be very convincing if I'm like... I don't particularly love the Democrats, but that's a pretty dumb argument for to like, yeah, compared to like Kamala looking the camera in the eye being like, hey, when you didn't know if it was safe to have your kids go to school or visit their grandparents or be in your home, uh, does that compare to like Pence saying unity or like, yeah, I, I just, it was a new tech. I just don't think it was a particularly strong one. I think Kamala Harris did honestly do a much better job in this section of, of pushing back. Um, I don't know, I lived through swine flu. I don't remember being particularly scared of it or like, I just don't think that's an effective approach. I always thought that was a dumb approach. There's just sort of, I think like Pence did enough to not like have lost the election in this section, but he lost this section in my mind. Yeah, I totally agree. The, the swine flu, you know, that being brought up was just dumb. I mean, obviously there's nothing that really, um, right now compares to the coronavirus. And um, I don't think that Kamala mentioned it, but I think that it would have been a good point for her to mention that, I mean, he's literally like the head of the coronavirus task force. Um, and so 
I mean, every failure, you know, you can put it on the Trump administration, but you can also just like solely put it on Pence, the person who you're debating and like, again, give a face to the failure. But definitely agree that, um, you know, if there was like a win or a lose for this topic, Kamala definitely won that and Pence miserably lost. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. She definitely won it, but I think she could have drove it, like you say, at home harder. Uh, just because like everything that Pence, even his kind of like rebuttal at one point was, hey, you guys messed up on the swine flu. And even though they told us that if we did everything 100% right, way more people would have died than even like now. And it was like, yeah, but like you didn't do everything right. You did actually nothing right. And the one thing, and this, this idea that uh, closing off the border to China was like the this amazing thing was also weird because it was like Trump had just been looking for an excuse. It wasn't even really it didn't have anything to do with Corona. Uh, and also then they proceeded to fumble literally everything else. Like It was like, oh, it's not a big deal, but we are going to close the border with China. But don't worry about anything else after this. Right. And yeah, she just could have went so much harder on everything else literally just a day ago uh the president got out of the hospital for it he's still not taking it serious like they're literally sitting on a stage with glass in between the two of them (laughs) and like like yeah she's just not she's not giving it she didn't give me enough on that so while i think she won that she could have like and honestly she could have ended the debate right there yeah, I think, and this sort of is something I felt throughout most of the debate, is both of them, both of them leaned very heavily on these facts and figures. That I, I'm not saying you shouldn't use facts in a debate, but they lean very heavily into just like citing things at each other and then being like, well, what you cited is ridiculous. Here's the things I'm going to cite. And that's, I don't, I don't find that to be particularly convincing in either direction. And I think like there were so many facts on Kamala's side in this section that seemed pretty obvious that she won this section or like was able to score some points here but i i think if she'd done more what she did at the end where she kind of talked about like did you feel safe as they said you would when this happened like that seemed far more effective than just saying like two hundred thousand people how many more people could have been sick this many doctors this many like professionals like those are all sort of at a certain point just gray I think in a debate like this where the other side can just be like, well, we have our doctors and this many doctors say this. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I found that in a lot of these sections was this sort of over-reliance on a, I would say a tired form of debate that I thought we were starting to, or I think you need to move beyond if you want to actually like move the needle in some of these debates, regardless of whether like anyone does it particularly effectively, but yeah. And these debates also reminded me of the fact that like debates are supposed to be like the ones we had. Like I, I actually forgot mostly just cause like I'm, I guess I'm fairly young. And the last time we had a debate was like 2014, uh, a normal debate I'd say with uh, Obama and Romney. But since then it's been 20 people on stage uh, all trying to get their word in or Trump on stage and anybody's trying to get their word in. Uh, But also the other thing that I found weird, uh, as you guys mentioned the swine flu thing, 
is this idea of like, it's almost like Pence is being like, hey, these things are hard. Obama, it was hard for Obama. It's hard for us. Like, give us a break, guys. And it's like, what, what, like, yeah, I just, I don't know. He just, it sounds real whiny. It's like, wh- who are you? Are you not the leaders of the country? Right. Something else that I thought was interesting was the question around the um, vaccine. And Pence, like, took it as an opportunity to attack Kamala and be like, oh, you know, you're you're putting politics over, you know, people's health and safety. I'm like, sis, please don't talk about anybody putting politics over people's health and safety when Trump just came out and basically told people coronavirus is not a big deal. Don't let it control your life. When people, not only are people dying, like obviously that's the worst case, but also people are, their entire lives have been upended. People who are out of work or people who are, you know, like working, you know, from home, people who um, aren't able to travel, aren't able to see friends and family members. Like I found that just really, and of course I would expect it from a Republican, but I just found that so disingenuous for Pence to say that uh, Kamala was trying to play politics with people's lives when that's literally what they're doing. And also I was totally with her. I thought that her line was great when she said, if the doctors say, you know, take the, take the vaccine, then I'll be the first in line. But if Trump says it, I'm not taking the vaccine. And I said, yes, I am exactly with you, even though I'm not taking the vaccine, period. I don't care what doctors say. You ain't sticking me with no, no. Not with something. As Penn said, it's been developed in record speed. That's not a good thing. You're not going to take the chip. You're not going get, to get the market of this or whatever. I am not. <laughs> but yeah, and like that was low-key like part of like my bigger problem with the debate is like Kamala didn't, she kind of like, snuck things in there but it was like this whole thing of like oh if the doctor say i should take it was like a, a shot at the fact that trump will put a doctor on stage and then come right behind him and be like nah that's that's crazy don't listen to them uh pence is like quoting dr fauci while at the same time trump is like we need to fire him and his whole base is like we need to lock this man up he's a part of the conspiracy even though trump brought this man on stage how's the like how are you saying that there's a conspiracy against the guy who brought the man on stage that you're trying to turn away, right? Uh, And then to, like you said, with Pence talking about, oh, this vaccine has been developed in record time. We've got three stage three clinical trials coming out. And, you know, during like, in all the preparation for the coronavirus, we got all these materials and respirators, but not talking about how they let respirators sit in warehouses unused because they didn't think certain, like he was quoting like New Orleans, Detroit, New York, but you weren't actually supplying any of those those states with the respirators that you supposedly procured for them uh, to then turn around and have the states have to uh, band together to form like coalitions to outbid the U.S. government just so they could get the supplies necessary. And she was like, make it. There were like these sneak comments, but like nothing they brought home, like literally like the the failures of the administration. Uh, and I think Trump, that's also another thing that I noticed in the debate, like Pence has really developed a good, like a middle ground for Trump's way of like debating facts. Uh, and it's like way more pal- palatable. 
And I feel like a little bit more dangerous because you don't immediately like if you're like some people eat up what Trump says and they're like, oh, he's lying, but he's real. Where Pence is like this middle ground where you're like, I'm not actually sure if he's lying unless I actually know the facts. I feel like Pence is a prelude to what comes after Trump um, in many ways, because he is an old school politician in the like, I lie to your face, I get the money, I, I move the policy forward to support like wealth and power in this country. Um, but he's learned some of this populist approach from Trump. And Trump is sort of like this like weird, like unstable element where he, he kind of shoots himself in the foot about half the time, but he's just sort of like overflowing with just sort of like, and knew he, he will not hold to any idea. He will not hold to any policy. He will not hold to any ideology. He will move forward in the pursuit of his own power. Um, and like Pence is sort of the old school version of that. Trump realizes that the rules increasingly don't matter. If you put on a good show, people will follow you. And if you put on a good show and people feel like that show is for them and in support of their interests, they'll follow that. I, I feel like the next step is an actual intelligent person blending those um and pence's pence's i'd say probably smarter than trump but is still only is blending an old school sort of like set of tools with that and trying to add something on but somebody who really focuses on trump's approach and focuses on that sort of like protean instability in debate style and a willingness to kind of like cast all aside like trump, like pence still has morals pence still has values trump really doesn't somebody who's actually intelligent who doesn't have values <laughs> and is just seeking their own power could be extremely dangerous um, and I'm not saying Trump isn't dangerous, but I'm saying like, yeah, be, because he's, he just, he's not, he's not smart enough to be Hitler at a certain point. Like he's smart enough to do a lot of damage. He could even maybe end up killing as many people. Like, who knows? I'm not trying to like put boundaries on him and challenge him. But I, I do think that like, there's like a Pence is a middle step in between Trump and somebody who could be like a whole step more dangerous and wield that populist appeal more intentionally than just sort of instinctually, which is what I see Trump doing. Uh, should we transition to a discussion of which of them would die first and, watch the v and what the VP would do about that, which is what essentially the next, the next point in the discussion was, you're going to be a VP, that means you're gonna take over if someone dies, they're both gonna be old, what would you do about that? Um, does anybody wanna start this section? <laughs> Yeah, this was wild for me because it was the point where I was like, oh, yeah, they're not they're not debating. They're not like talking to each other at all. Nobody answered that question and nobody. I don't even remember what Pence said or Kamala. Like, it was just like I remember Kamala. She was like, Joe's a good guy. I remember when he called me to ask me. It was a Zoom call. You guys know Zoom calls, right? We're all we I'm relatable, right? We all do Zoom calls now uh yeah and this was the biggest and i was like what are you talking this has nothing to do with the question which on her side it makes sense because it's like that's kind of like everybody's biggest point is like oh joe's gonna die even though like him and trump are basically i and they said it i, I think i missed it but like they're like what a couple months apart it's four years okay. so i think that uh trump is 74 gonna be 74 and then um biden's gonna be 78 but also this was a chance to be like, yo, Trump just caught coronavirus. Like this man is on the way out. But yes. yeah, another missed chance. But yeah, that that was a weird segment because like nobody answered the question, which I guess makes sense because you don't want to be like, ah, yeah, if he dies, like, especially for Kamala, because she like, there's people can say like, oh, we kind of didn't want her to run for president anyway. 
you know, it was just, it was a weird section where I was like, oh, this debate is going to be different. Yeah. And I also just feel like, yeah, that's like a really awkward, I mean, it makes sense. That's a question that should be asked, but also nobody in their right mind is no politician in their right mind is going to answer that question honestly and going to say, yeah, we have a plan for when he kicks the bucket because he's definitely close to it. You know, like nobody's going to to say that, but I feel like it was more relevant, definitely more relevant, even though Joe Biden's older, it's more relevant for Trump because he has coronavirus. So like literally people were talking about the fact that like he could be on death's door, you know, like knocking right now. But um, yeah, I think that that was probably more relevant. And again, just as throughout the entire debate, Pence refused refused to answer the question he did that i mean like nine times out of ten he did not answer the question in any way shape or form yeah no this this was the least answered question of all the questions that they had it was like your running mate is old and will continue to be old in theory uh what will you do if they eventually just move on um and yeah both of them just basically like i love that you asked that question i love the person i'm running with they're an incredible person i would run with them again in a heartbeat I really am excited to be here. Isn't it amazing that we're both here? They like, even had that weird moment where like Pence was like, yeah, I didn't expect to be vice president either. This is kind of weird, isn't it? Which is like, it's kind of different when you're like a pretty well-off white man versus like she was trying to make a point about historical oppression. But yeah, they were kind of unified in this question on the like, no, I'm not going to get into how I'm waiting for him to die. Because <laughs> um, that's, I mean, to be honest, that's what Pence is totally doing too. Like, both Pence and Kamala are VPs who became VP or who are running for VP off of pretty unsuccessful moments in their political career. Um, where Pence had kind of falling favorability and support in Indiana. Uh, Kamala Harris had just run a pretty unsuccessful campaign to be president um, off of like initially high expectations. Um, and so they've been kind of resurrected by this person they're running with both kind of under the understanding that that person won't be around forever and that they'll be able to like take a next step in their political career afterwards. And so this is an incredibly awkward question to answer, answer truthfully. And both of them just pivoted right away from it. Just like both of you said, I think it makes a lot of sense to point out that one of them just caught a deadly disease um, and the other one did not. I don't think you want to lean into talking about age if you're the Biden campaign, but I think that like, yeah, if one of you's caught a deadly disease that seems like a good opportunity to do so um exactly and so yeah there wasn't a ton of content here outside of that we can we can maybe move on to the next section should we just move on to the next one yeah the economy was interesting was that was that the next one i mean it can be yeah it is <laughs> okay uh yeah it was interesting and mostly just like there was also a moment there was a moment earlier when they were talking about coronavirus and like what joe biden's plan would be if he stepped up and this whole thing pence did it a lot where it was like basically just taking credit for uh things that other people had done and he's like yeah you know you guys left a terrible economy and we raised it up and he's gonna bring it back down uh and so Somehow I segued into China and segued into climate change. Uh, but this whole idea of like, Obama said we were going to lose so many jobs and jobs were never coming back. And we brought back the jobs and the Green New Deal is going to kill jobs. And basically just painting this picture of like everything Joe Biden's going to do is, is going to destroy America. Also, I feel like, so 
rewind a little bit. I feel like it's the weirdest thing of how presidents take uh, credit for things that come through Congress. And it's like, you literally did nothing like most of the time, but especially for like the stimulus package uh, that came out and how literally a day ago, Trump was like, oh, we're not doing another stimulus package. While at the same time, Pence can go up on stage and be like, yeah, we gave you guys that stimulus package, what, four, three, four, five months ago now? And it's like, this, this saved America. And there's going to be so much more of this. But then literally the next couple of months, we haven't gotten anything. Like, it's just this weird, surreal thing of like him just taking so much credit for things that not only did they have nothing to do with, but at some points actually fought against. I, I hate the economy talks because nobody ever, like, it really, like it's an important talk that they need to have, but it doesn't really get to any point. Like everybody's got their own views and can always pull out these random facts. Isn't that where he also kept saying, like, you can make up opinions? What did he say? You can make up opinions, but you can't make up facts? Yeah, that line, he used it, like, twice. You can uh, have your own opinions, but you can't have your own facts or something like that. Right, he probably would. They were probably in the back before, like, you're going to kill him with this one. This this one, this is the one right here. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think, so in this section... This was the first section that I kind of wrote this down. It's just sort of like Kamala Harris would be doing really well in this debate if I didn't know she was running with Joe Biden. Where like, I think a lot of the things that she said, I supported and that like, I thought would be good things. Like the, the whole like, the health and strength of the American economy is based on the health and strength of American workers and families, which is like a great sentiment. And I would agree with that as a communist. Um, but Joe Biden, if you look at his record and the things that he's pursued, does not believe that or if he believes it is severely deluded about how to pursue it if you look at the way that the obama biden presidency uh approached the last massive financial crisis their approach wasn't based on workers and american families they threw millions of people out of their homes they they bailed out the banks and left a bunch of people out in the cold and that if he had that record this would be a really good point to make but it's just really rough to, to counterpose a different type of not caring about the working class with not caring about the working class. And like the Trump-Pence campaign absolutely doesn't care. And I want to make that very clear because sometimes I'm hard on Biden. That's because I want him to actually do the things that he sometimes pretends he wants to do. But yeah, it's just like some of Kamala Harris's points would have been really strong if you didn't turn around and look at what she and or Biden had done in the past and just kind of go like, well, that's not what you did. Like, that's not the policies you've enacted. That's not the policies you pursued. That's not the change that you've wrought in the world. Um, so I'm not really going to put a lot of faith in you to pivot away from this type of darkness into just a different type of darkness. I, I mean, we'll talk about, I think this might even be in the section or it might be in the foreign policy section, but just around like comparing NAFTA to the Mexico, Canada, America, free trade discussion or whatever. I don't know the acronym, but which is just NAFTA. It's just NAFTA again with like slightly different rules that Trump says are better. And then his supporters accept because he said they're better. But it's like, that's the argument they're having is two bad things that hurt a lot of people in all three of those countries (laughs) um, to the benefit of rich people. And then we're supposed to pick a side in those two bad things. And that's, that's what a lot of this economy talk felt like to me. It's just like, you had good points, but the actual backup wasn't really there. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I also agree with Greg's point from earlier that 
basically Pence was saying that the economy that they inherited was terrible and clearly that wasn't the truth. Um, and I think that, and this kind of goes into climate change, but I think that also an interesting point that Pence made was that the Green New Deal is going to cost so many jobs and it's going to ruin the economy and blah, 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 and bloop, bloop, bloop. And I just found that to be a really interesting point for him to make because one, it's not true. And two, it felt really irrelevant for him to bring up or it felt like he was trying to deflect from the actual, you know, job that they have been doing, especially during this pandemic on, you know, um, making sure that again the working class and like middle class folks are actually doing well and you're talking about what a you know biden harris administration might look like under the green new deal it just it wasn't relevant and i know that that's what he did all night and that's what you know folks do politicians of both parties they deflect but um that was just something that really caught my attention also kind of off topic but and going through twitter did anybody else notice the fly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. The fly has a Twitter now. Um, Biden has already put out an ad that basically said, help this campaign fly with him in a fly swatter. Like, that fly honestly won the debate. All right. End of, end of podcast. We we know who won the debate. There it is. We got, we got the funniest thing. <laughs> no, nah, I had nothing else to include. I just I just thought that was funny because for folks at home, I didn't actually watch the debate. I was driving, so I didn't get to see what was going on. No, yeah, it it showed up. It was there for a while. I don't know, like if they breed them a certain way in those like facilities where they are willing to sit on people's heads. Any fly I've had, if I moved, like it would leave. You know, like if you got a fly and you move, it just flies away. It doesn't hang around like it's job to be on camera. Well, a lot of people said that like it obviously was attracted to him because like he's dead on the inside people also said like my brother said that flies are a sign of demonic um possession <laughs> which good. yeah so there there could be a couple of reasons because that fly was not playing like he was there for a full five minutes he was chilling he was really happy to have his camera time okay let's dive into possibly a pretty painful one uh, it might be quick, though, because it is painful. The climate change discussion. Yeah, I think I showed this a little bit at the beginning. I don't need the Biden campaign to announce any more forceful or any more forcefully that they do not support banning fracking. Um, I'm really tired of that being then followed by them saying that they believe the science and that it's really important to believe the science and trust the scientists. And then again, stare into the camera and tell me that they do not support banning fracking. I know that they're worried about Pennsylvania and that makes a lot of sense, but like, yeah, we're trying to make sure that there's a planet in a few, <laughs> in a few decades. And the idea that they're like, yeah, in 50 years, we'll eventually be off of fossil fuels. And in the meantime, we're going to need fracking and no, we don't support the green new deal. That's, that, that's a smear from the Republicans. It's just, this was a rough section. Um, I don't have a lot to say on it. I think I said a lot of it in the Trump debate section. It was kind of like a weird debate on like, are things worse? Kind of. Can we prove that it's climate change? Maybe. Can we do anything? Not that if it'll upset enough rich people. And kind of, you know, Pence had a different line on how many rich people you could upset than Kamala Harris did. But 
yeah, just to stop actively saying things that make me want to not vote for you would probably be a good move with them and yeah. with the Biden campaign and progressives. I agree. Um, it was definitely very disappointing. Um, I I wouldn't say that like environmental issues are like my big thing, but obviously I'm a human being who inhabits this earth. So I really, really would like to make sure that, you know, if I decide to have children, like there's a planet for them um, and, you know, for future generations and stuff like that. So yeah, it's really disappointing that the you're that both campaigns but especially the biden harris campaign are so worried about upsetting some uh voters who you know work with fossil fuels or whatever they're so uh, obsessed with making sure that they get their vote that they make very harmful statements and they don't commit to you know like a full overhaul of the economy away from being dependent on fossil fuels and to renewable energy i know that that in for some reason is like really controversial but at the same time I would appreciate just a level of like honesty and clarity when it comes to an existential crisis like climate change. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway came from the other side and just like how I don't think I've ever I've heard like I, I troll through uh, like Republican forums and like right wing forums. This is the first time I've heard, like, on a stage, like, actual anti-science, anti-climate change rhetoric. And though, like, Pence was, like, very calm about it. It was very much like, yeah, climate change is a thing, and that's bad. But also, like, we don't have any more hurricanes than we did 100 years ago. And who knows where climate change comes from? So, like, why are we worried? But Donald Trump loves the environment. He gave money to the parks. And again, ignoring the fact that, you know, destroyed the Clean Water Act and like many other like anti-environment things, but just like was able to paint Donald Trump as like pro-environment while at the same time denying any type of actual uh, responsibility or even an idea that we could have uh, I say in like climate change or that it's even a problem. Yeah. And I think for me, this came out in both the economy and the environmental section was just the, the fundamental weakness and long-term listeners will remember my episode on liberalism, <laughs> but the fundamental weakness of Kamala Harris's position at certain points, because she's not willing to actively attack the rich. Like the rich are why we can't do a lot of climate change action. The rich are why we can't have Medicare for all, why we can't have free education for all is because they have a vested interest in a different system. Whereas like the vast majority of us do not, but because they built a coalition that like requires and is um, beholden to wealthy people, um, they can't talk about taxes in a way that is effective. So like when Pence goes, you're going to tax people. She says, well, no, we're not. We're only going to tax some people. And she can't take the next step to be like, because those people are the ones that are to blame for this crisis. I guess just, yeah, there's, there's a problem there with not explaining why you're taxing them. The reason you're taxing them isn't just because they're wealthy. It's also because of what they do with that wealth and where they avoid taxes and invest that wealth in ways that hurt people. Um, and the same thing with overall, you can't name your, she can't name her enemy which maybe she doesn't recognize them as her enemy, but like 
that is the enemy of many of the policies that she advocates for. And if you can't name your enemy and the other side can name an enemy and can eviscerate them and attack them, you're always gonna be in a worse debating position and a worse argumentative position because you're always gonna sort of like just stop suddenly where it's like, we need to change our economy to really like move away from fossil fuels. Okay, that, that's logical. It seems like people are being hurt. Why haven't we done that? Well, we just need to do it. And we need to make sure we do it in a slow, methodical way that doesn't actually meet the solutions that clearly are being indicated by scientists. That seems weird. Why are you doing that? Well, I think it's just what the American people kind of really feel and need. I, I don't want to move too fast. It's like, I don't know. I'd rather not have my home like flooded or attacked by a hurricane. That seems pretty logical. So why aren't we doing it? I just think we should move slow. Like it just it ends up being this strange, like, yeah, it, it, she's in forever hampered. And, and I think all liberals are because they can't name what the actual impediments are because that would, that would disrupt the coalition they're trying to build with a certain segment of the rich population. And if they just fucking cut them off and built a coalition of working class people, there would be a, there could be real change. Though they'd have to get the, through the goddamn rigged primaries first. Uh, so we'll see how that goes the next time around. Oh yeah, I think this section was a little bit weird too in that like, like you said, she, there was a point where she kind of did name the enemies, so to speak. But like at first it was like, oh, they gave tax cuts to the, the wealthiest Americans and like the big corporations. And Pence was like, oh, if they get in and repeal the tax code, everybody's taxes is going to go up by $4,000. Like he just, he laid it on the table, Right which I don't, I'd have to go and fact check that to see if like that's true. I mean, I think he's talking about like the standard deduction, which even then isn't probably isn't like all in all factual, but then she later comes back and is like this, we will only raise taxes for the, those who make $4,000 or 400,000 a year or more. But also that is Kamala. Kamala makes Kamala between her and her husband, they make, I think over a million a year, right? So it's hard to be like, I'm gonna raise taxes on her and her friends. Uh, yeah. Well, it just, it comes off as sort of, you're not, you're not making an argument about why you're raising taxes on them, which I think implicitly feels dangerous to other people. If you're just starting to draw lines around like, yeah, we're gonna tax people, but you don't explain why you're taxing rich people. You just are sort of like, yeah, we should tax them. I. I think that you're in kind of a weak position because then people feel threatened. They're like, well, why wouldn't you tax me then? If you're taxing them, why wouldn't you tax me? Um, but, but I think that that's a limit that they're unwilling to go beyond of just sort of like naming, you tax rich people to, because that's where the money is. That's where the unfair system has put them. That unfair system is called capitalism, <laughs> um, as well as to weaken their power within that system, to take away some of that excess wealth that they're using to influence our structures. But saying all of that out loud, the, they're not getting the billionaire donors that they are using to fuel their campaign. And that's, you know, they're also not getting Bernie's donors. So they need one of those two groups and they've, they've kind of chosen their side and that's resulting in policy. Yeah, we, we can move on from this, Marshall. I want to give you a chance if you, you got anything to say on, on this section. Otherwise, we can take a step forward. <laughs> Nods of the head at 11.50. Uh, <laughs> Well, then we get to move to everybody's favorite section, which is foreign policy slash how quickly can you denounce China and or appear wildly xenophobic in the correct way for your base? I feel like Amala did a very good job of not falling into that. 
am I, am I mistaken? Did I, did I miss a part where she was like, you know, kind of being, tell me. I don't think, I think this section in general is always just a, a kind of turn off my brain a little bit moment because neither of them is going to like really make any sort of significant criticism of US imperialism. I think she approached it in a way that isn't as scary to me as Joe Biden, where Joe Biden sort of steps up and says, we need to restore America's place in the world. And he kind of like says it in this way that's like, what do you, do you have a gun? What are you doing, Joe? Um, Kamala, Harris, Kamala Harris's approach at this debate was like, you know, it's like friends. Some friends, you got to play close with them. You got to be like buddies. And then other people, you got to check them. And that, you know, that sounds approachable. The problem is that checking them means sanctions that cripple economies and cost lives. It means potential military action that starts wars and again, costs lives. And that those lives are always weighted less and somehow than American lives. And, you know, people can have their own opinions about that, but I think it's in general a good rule of thumb to count American lives as equal to those outside of our borders. <laughs> um, so I, I think she did a good job of avoiding the more vociferous, like we need to have boots on the ground in China. We need to like, we should have been watching those like scary people in China, like just drifting into xenophobic and racist rhetoric. I don't think she did a good job of avoiding this sort of, we are the American empire and we should retain that role rhetoric. And I'm not, you know, I'm not at the end of the day expecting that in this debate. Like I'm not expecting one of them to come out. Like the, we know who they are, but it just means that this part of the debate is just sort of depressing and like, yeah, the liberal ideas where you support, you both support Israel very aggressively and then sell arms to people very aggressively and then criticize the largest other military power in the world very aggressively cool this is fun this is a great part of the debate let's move on. like yeah there aren't options here this is not an this is not a multiple perspectives section for me so much it's just kind of like different language around pretty much the same policies yeah yeah oh go ahead greg no i think it's also weird like i think you brought up a point that i wasn't thinking about that we don't talk about any of the other more nuanced things like there was this whole thing about oh, who went and killed who and who, like basically who, who dropped more bombs, right? Uh, but we don't talk about North Korea anymore. We're not talking about Iran. We're not talking about the weapons we sold to the Saudis. We're not talking about the general instability in the Middle East. It's very much Donald Trump-centric and whatever like his big thing is, which right now is China. Uh, and I feel like Kamala did come back kind of strong with uh, the trade war, the Pew research thing was kind of weird. Um, I did find it kind of humorous that Pence went just short of saying that Joe Biden gives reach arounds to China. Uh, and I think Kamala could have went harder, but I, I'm glad that she brought up like, hey, Putin has been seen with Trump multiple times and Putin's been putting out hits on American soldiers and Donald Trump hasn't said one word about it. And also he's he's shitting on our soldiers. What's going on with that? Uh, my biggest point is like, it's weird that we've gotten away from the general idea of what foreign uh, policy looks like and gotten down to like, what is Donald Trump's thing of the day? And how do we pin that on him as a bad, as something that we'll do different? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, one point that 
was kind of brief, briefly brought up was uh, Pence like talking about how um, the administration moved the capra- the capital of Israel um, from, well, I think it was Tel Aviv to um, Jerusalem and like touted that as like some kind of major success or some kind of like major achievement, which is just super weird. And of course that doesn't get into the whole like, mess that is, you know, uh, American relations with Israel and propping up uh, the government and all that stuff. But I just thought that that was just a really weird thing to tout as a success. And then the other thing was the uh, assassination of, I can't remember who, what the guy's name is. Suleimani. Thank you. Um, And I mean, not that, again, we should ever be celebrating the death of any human being, no matter how terrible, you know, they are. That's not something that we should ever celebrate. But, I mean, if we're going to compare, like, killing terrorists, I mean, the Obama administration did take out bin Laden. So, again, it's just like another example of the Trump administration always trying to one-up the Obama administration because they hate him so much. Trump specifically hates him so much. So it's like, yes, you did that. And, you know, to sit there and try to pin the death of that, um, you know, young lady on, you know, the Obama administration and, you know, Joe Biden is just absolutely disgusting. But I mean, I, I wouldn't expect anything less, but that whole conversation just like really made my stomach turn because that's, not something that we should be celebrating and it's not something that we should be touting. We shouldn't be running around saying, oh, well, this, you know, American uh, person died. So, you know, we went and we got the terrorists when you didn't get the terrorists. Like, that's just, I, I don't, I don't like that, that line of thinking. Yeah. There was also a very heavy line. I feel like throughout the debate of respectability politics that Pence was playing at was like, oh, how dare you say this or how dare you say that? But be like, beyond that, I feel like we're ignoring the fact that the whole Suleimani thing was like weirdly done. Like we had been looking for Bin Laden for years. Like he was still like actively involved. Like Suleimani was like a foreign leader. Like he wasn't like, a, I, that's the other thing. Like he wasn't even a terrorist. Like we would, we didn't kill a terrorist. We like killed somebody who was affiliated with, and not even like directly affiliated, but like had had contacts with folks in the who who run terror cells or like who are involved in terror cells, which again, Donald Trump himself has been like photographed with certain people. Even George Bush was photographed with uh bin Laden. So like what are we talking about here? And like how that almost started, like people were scared we were gonna go to World War Three in January because we made a random attack on a foreign country on a foreign country's leadership and then got one of our bases bombed because of it. So it's like, yeah, it's definitely like a weird victory to hold up. And like, it's almost like people, because of everything that's going on, like we're supposed to forget that that was actually like a bad decision and nobody in America was like, oh yeah, he did something great. Yeah. I think I have, I have a lot of feelings about a bunch of this stuff, but um, on the Suleimani thing, like, I think that it's sometimes held up as like a similar to bin Laden thing. I think like Greg is saying there, yeah, he's, he was a representative of a nation in the region who was visiting another nation in the region. He was wildly popular in a lot of those countries for the role he had played opposing U.S. imperialism. And like, I think that is a very different role to play than somebody who is uh, liked by extremists for murdering civilians. Like, 
he was popular among civilians for the role he had played in pushing back against the role of the United States in the region. And he did bad things, as well as our government has done horrible things in the region. And I think, I think just like many other anti-colonial struggles, you end up having to do some pretty horrible things to hold your ground against an overwhelming military power. Um, and I'm not fully on board with Suleimani, but I think that like the idea that that was a win for the region or that we somehow did good there, we killed a guy who was effective against fighting us is what happened there. And I think that like that is not remembered as I understand it at least, I have limited understanding, but that is not remembered in, in much of the region as a victory for their safety. It is, I think, very much more remembered as killing somebody who was one of the best people at fighting us. Um, and I think that, that he was in a pretty fundamentally different position than bin Laden. Um, and so, yeah, I, I find that, I found that to be a very weird thing for them to fight over. Again, Kamala Harris is like sort of a side to like, and then they bombed this base and a bunch of soldiers had like head trauma from the bombs that hit there. Like, again, it was very much like the, our soldiers got hurt. We did murder a, a leader of a different country or like not a leader, but a key like representative of a different country unilaterally. But let's talk about our soldiers over here. That just, that felt a little forced. I think that was an awkward pivot. Be that as it may, but I, yeah. I mean, this section in general, I just disagree so much with the premise of much of their arguments, like the whole Russia thing with um, where they were trying to argue about uh, having bounties on US soldiers. The US dumped tens of millions of dollars into Afghanistan to kill Soviet soldiers for, for like a decade. If that's not a bounty, it's at least paying for all the equipment that leads towards a death. Like, I don't think there's a lot of moral high ground for the United States to play in a lot of these scenarios. And so like the, the kind of weird grandstanding of you were on the wrong side of history, it's like you're both in this, like there's a lot of ways in which one of these parties like actually has advocated better policy, even if they can't enact it. This is an area where both parties enact horrible and advocate horrible policy. And so I just sort of, it's rough to listen to with any sort of like enthusiasm on one side or the other. Yeah. And I think that also it's tough for, you know, I don't want to say the average American, but the average American, like they really want to see folks being quote unquote strong on foreign policy. And what that means is America going in, you know, kicking ass and taking names basically. So unless you are a more, you know, globally minded person, or, you know, you, you kind of are like a human rights advocate, that's not necessarily going to be important to you, especially to the American electorate. So while I totally agree with everything that you're saying, Ian, obviously, I, I do think that the reason why they, the conversation went the way that it is, is because they know that they have to be talking to the American public and they know that they have to be talking about, yes, America has to stand strong and America has to like reclaim its place in the world and has to basically be a force for freedom. So yeah, that's just a point. Yeah. I also think, and I don't want to like harp on this point too long. I think you guys are getting ready to move on, but I think it's like literally Donald Trump in my mind has done the opposite of that. Like he's led, like we've gone through, I don't know how many secretary of states at this point. Uh, and he's left most of our ambassador seats empty like in the places where america like gets in these conversations and stands up and like 
you know, protects American sovereignty here and abroad. Like Trump has dropped the ball, but because he's such like a polarizing, like, or not polarizing, but like such a newsworthy figure, he makes the the few things that he does go after look like huge things while letting like the small things that we do to like, quote unquote, protect America uh, go by the wayside. Cool. Uh, to move us forward to the next great subject that we have here, just just fantastic folks. Uh, Supreme Court, uh, a new favorite since RBG died or RGB, I don't know. My uh, designer brain won't let me say that in the right order. But um, yeah, there, I think with this section, there's not a lot new that was said. Again, this was the debate of like old points being said by more competent people um, in many ways. I think the main notes I have here are just, I think the scaremongering around the Supreme Court on both sides is a lot, I think. Is it? No, I mean, it's, my, my frustration is that the access to abortion thing is a critical point by acting as though the Supreme Court is the decisive factor in that ignores that for much of the country, access to abortion is already restricted to the point of being inaccessible. That's true. And so I, I think that like, I think that Kamala Harris made, again, good points that I can agree with around like court packing. I think that was a really good point. That was a good comeback to like, are you going to pack the court? Is like, yeah. how many white men have you put in these positions? Exactly. But I do think that... Um, so, quick aside, I did not get that point. That went what, right over my head. Oh, the, the court packing? Yeah, when she rebutted, was like, you guys have uh, appointed X, I forget how many, X amount of, yeah. uh, you know, people to the Federal court. Federal judges. And none are, uh, none are people of color. I did not get that. I Thank you guys for that, because I, I missed that point. I was like... Man, that like, yeah, no, I missed that point. I also thought that this point with this part of the debate was interesting because this is when I was yelling at the screen saying, okay, so is uh, Pence the moderator now? Because he sat there and he said, I want you to answer once and for all, are you for or against packing the courts? And I'm like, first of all, sir, this is not your debate. You are not the moderator. You do not get to pick the questions. And I'm glad that Kamala, first of all, neither one of them should ever answer that question because if they're smart, they won't. And if they, you know, end up winning, then they should pack the courts because I mean, duh, but um, they should not in any way, shape or form commit to an answer on that. And I'm really, I thought that it was a really good job that she pivoted on. Of course, Pence pointed out that she pivoted, but I'm like all night you've been pivoting sis. So please don't sit there and try to call her out on not giving an answer when you can't give an answer on the most basic of questions. Yeah. I, I think like, I, again, didn't disagree with what Kamala Harris said. I just, I think there's that extra step of like, look, these constitutional rights are being undermined across the country already. Like throughout uh, a lot of working class and black and brown communities. And I mean, and also white work, uh, working class communities, these aren't rights that people have anymore. And that includes like some of the like stuff around the Affordable Care Act. Like people can pay for healthcare. Can they use it? Can they actually like access the healthcare that they're sending money off to a, a company for? Not really. Right. Can they actually access the abortions that you're saying that like should be everybody's right, uh, their right to choose what happens to their body? 
a lot of people it's not really and i think that equating all both of those things as well as some other stuff to just a supreme court decision ignores the reality for a lot of people i don't know how effective that is in this election i don't know I, i'm not an election strategist you know you may have picked up on that uh through me saying i'm a communist and uh, other things i've said on this podcast but i i do i think if you're gonna start to build power in working class and rural communities which i think both of them have significant issues with turnout and engagement you need to start talking about the realities that they live with um and i think that like the reality is is that economic capacity to exercise your rights plays a huge role in what rights you have and that wasn't really talked about in the supreme court debate and it was acted as though one side was on one thing one side was on the other but it wasn't really yeah it didn't engage with that reality and that's you know in the world where communists have a sit in the Supreme Court, uh, things would be uh, a little different, I guess. But um, are, we, are we feeling like they didn't, other than like kind of denouncing each other for not uh, packing the court or packing the court, there wasn't too much here. Are we good to, to maybe move on to um, racial justice, our favorite section oh, yeah. of every one of these debates? <laughs> Definitely ready. Would well, you want to go? Um, yeah, I obviously always find this topic very interesting as a black woman in America. Um, I appreciate that the question was so focused and, you know, um, uh, specific talking about Breonna Taylor. Um, obviously Kamala Harris's answer, you know, saying that, uh, the, the, you know, attorney general, they absolutely got it wrong. Uh, that was very much appreciated. What was not appreciated was Pence um, obviously saying that uh, the grand jury was presented all of the evidence. I mean, he just said so many things that were false in like such a short amount of time. It just really pissed me off. Um, but, and I know he's an old rich white man, but for him to say that there is no like systemic inequality, racial inequality in this country is just it's infuriating. And I understand that I will never understand what it's like to move through this world as a white man. But at the same time, he didn't have to say that. Like, I'm fine with you, you know, not necessarily wanting to say that there's racism and there's systemic racism in America. I understand that's going to piss off your base. And he may not actually believe, you know, that there's systemic racism in America. But for him to actually say that, to verbalize that, is just extremely insulting. And for him to say that, you know, Kamala Harris uh, basically, you know, um, is, you know, she hasn't done her job well um, and that, you know, she doesn't understand how the justice system works and that basically like everything's fine, you know, police are fine, the criminal justice system is fine. That's just infuriating and insulting, but I wouldn't expect anything less from Michael Pence. Yeah, that was a tough one. Um... Again, one of, this is one of those places where I really wish Kamala would have pushed back more and maybe she just doesn't. This is a tough one just on both sides, especially like with where the Biden campaign is trying to go and be like so centrist, like it's really a hard one for them to, I guess, push on. But for then Pence to pivot the whole thing and be like, you know, the justice system is working as it's supposed to and george floyd was bad but you know what's really bad is how you guys reacted and that's the real problem in this country exactly and I support our police and the police can be racist because they're just doing their job and it's just like 
very frustrating. And I mean, it's what you expect from like this, the top of the ticket, right? Like from this administration. But it's also like, even in these debates, and this one was this one was less two-faced, I feel like, because they didn't really talk about like the economic situation of black people within America. Um, but like within the last debate, it was like, I support our police, but also like I'm here for the black people and I'm the best president for the black people. Pence didn't do that or didn't get a chance to do that. But it's just very frustrating to have to deal with this on on all levels, right? And to like have to justify like the worth of your life to not just like, you know, some random idiot and and your on your Facebook, but like to like the literal uh executive office. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um also you mentioned the point about there was like that pivot to rioting and violence. And first of all, I think that all forms of protest are acceptable. So you want to go and burn down a store, that does not bother me. But the fact that when we are talking about racial justice and when we're talking about the cases of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the countless other names that we know and that we don't know, that this conversation always turns to the violence in response or the riots in response, that really, really pisses me off because First of all, the majority of protests are peaceful, but even if they're not, I feel like folks are justified in expressing their anger. And also, folks never seem to recognize that a lot of the folks who are actually committing the violent acts, and again, violence is a weird word to use because we're talking about property damage. Like, we're not talking about people actually losing their lives. We're not talking about that, except for in very, you know, few cases, like that child that came down let me not call him a child because he's a grown ass man who came down and uh, murdered two uh, anti-racism uh, protesters. But yeah, the more the majority of the violence or the property j- damage that we see is either done by the other side or side or they're done by outside agitators. So there's always this false equivalence of okay, so the people who are you know saying Black Lives Matter, the people who are out in the streets, are the people who are perpetrating violence, and that's not the case. The violence is honestly coming from the police. The violence is honestly coming from Proud Boys and, you know, folks that are from white nationalist militias who are, you know, trying to basically put people back in their place when they see them out in the streets protesting, you know, racial injustice. So while, of course, I don't expect Mike Pence to acknowledge that in any way, shape or form, I just wish that, you know, moderators, this reminds me of back with Chris Wallace, you know, he equivocated racial justice and, you know, that kind of conversation with riots. Like that was how it was like race relations in America and like riots and and violence or something like that. And I just wish that people, especially people who are in the media or people who are of kind of, you know, some kind of higher level of intellectual capacity, make that uh, distinction between, you know, violence and chaos and stuff like that and people exercising their constitutional right to protest things that they see are as unjust. As always, not the best section. I think stronger than when Joe Biden was baited into saying he supported law and order for like a solid like three minutes at the last debate, which is just 
unnecessary. Um, yeah, I, I think like it, yeah, the it took. A, I can't believe Pence standing on stage and saying that like, yeah, the justice system worked with Breonna Taylor. Like, I I don't understand what brings a person to that point in their lives where they're capable of doing that. Um, I guess I can understand it. I can't like empathize in any way with like how you would feel in that moment or how you would engage with that. Like, I would agree with everything you said, Marcel, around the the pivot into violence and the portrayal of violence that is in response to centuries of injustice as being illegitimate. Uh, it's just, no, it's not. If it's fucking Target, it's burned down after like 400 years of oppression that is a like that is not even a down payment that's just a thing that happened that is a that is like before a storm a couple of blades of grass got blown out of your yard yeah okay cool the target got burned down do you understand the level of injustice you're dealing with you you could eliminate every u.s corporation and you still wouldn't have made up for the damage that's been done so i i just i think that there's like a, a misperception on what like the harm levels are on each side there. Yeah, I, I think our, our theme here is definitely that Kamala Harris struggles to then reel us in with the moment where it would be like, cool, let's pivot into like the hope and like what the, the better policy could be. Like, I think her line was that Joe Biden's policies are my policies when I was a prosecutor. And it's like, no one is excited about that sentence. <laughs> Like, I don't think she's convincing a lot of middle-class people that, like, those are policies that they want. No one in the progressive wing who's looked at her record is enthused by that sentence. Like, I think she did a really good job of laying out some policies at the beginning around racial justice, or not racial justice, around police violence reform and, like, creating a registry of offending officers. Like, all that stuff is stuff that should have been circled back to and hammered down on and, like, used to emphasize. Like, I think she, she nailed a couple of points that, like, I honestly had never heard yeah. Biden say and was I wrote in my notes, does Joe Biden know about these policies? Because <laughs> all he ever says is like, I'm going to give $300 million to police departments, which is not at all what <laughs> anyone wants. Um, not even police departments. They don't want to get that money from Joe Biden. So yeah, I, I think that like, if she had circled back to that and emphasized it, like that would have been good. Instead, she got into this weird fight on her record and we ended up in like a nowhere's land that I don't think any... that no one really supports like i don't think that anybody's really riding or dying based on her her record um and i don't think she's convincing any new people based on her record so i don't really understand what the point of i guess you have to talk about it at a certain point but yeah just end up in a, in a bad place yeah it gets yeah the the racial justice question also gets in this weird place where like the only problems that uh black people and minorities in america face is with police like they aren't economic they aren't we're ignoring ice we're ignoring so many other things and it's a it's an annoying conversation in that like it immediately turns to like you know kamala's record on like what she's done and how she'll be the right type of vp that will then you know change they'll stop black people from getting killed in the streets there was also a point, I think, uh, for me, it was an interesting point that I have been hearing a lot of people saying like, oh, Pence is going to hammer Kamala on her record as an attorney. And it shows like who they're actually trying to go- get votes from and that he didn't touch it at all because 
that's exactly what people would have wanted. The voters that they're looking for, the the typical Republican or centrist or conservative, not conservative, but a middle of the road voter wants a Kamala in office. They want somebody who's going to be hard and going to do uh, broken windows policing and all like, you know, policing the poor because that's what that's what Donald Trump has been running on, right? Is like keep the suburbs safe and law and order. So like the idea that they didn't even, like Pence didn't really even, he tried to discredit her record and be like, oh no, Kamala would be a terrible. She would just let them run the streets. And I think it's, yeah, I just think it's an interesting point that of what didn't happen in this portion of the debate, even though it wasn't even about law and order, even really about, also, yeah, it's just interesting that the the question compared to like, what was that last week or two weeks ago's question was more about how do you ease racial tensions and like keep, you know, take back control of like the civil unrest where this was like literally like the justice system. Is it broken or not? And Pence is like, no, no. Well, and Kamala Harris is just sort of like, I, I could make it better by me being in charge of it. And it's like, I, I don't think either of those are the answer. <laughs> I also just want to go back to something that I was just thinking about. It seemed like Pence had a really tough time expressing any sympathy for Breonna Taylor and her family, like in the very beginning of a statement, which again is very disturbing to me. Like, even if you think that, you know, the the grand jury, they made the right decision and everything like that, like he really, really struggled to say, you know, we feel for Brianna's family, this young woman shouldn't have lost her life. Like, that to me is very indicative of the type of person that Pence is. And I think that we often forget because Pence is very quiet and he really obviously is like, you know, he's playing second fiddle to Trump. But I think that we honestly forget a lot that Mike Pence is a terrible person, like an evil person, like a terrible, horrible, evil person. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. So I think that that instance, that that moment in the debate, uh, not that I needed to be convinced that he was a terrible person, but that really solidified my opinion of him, that he struggled so hard to even find the words to offer sympathy to Breonna Taylor's family. Yeah, no, I, I also noted that where you could almost feel him choking over expressing any sympathy. Um, and like, he was almost looking for the words of like, we we feel for them. And it's like, okay, that's, I guess, a human emotion. You score zero points for originality or sincerity, but okay. Um, is feeling no it's, it's yeah no I, I had it in my notes is like uh mike pence has resting comic book villain face like when he just goes back to like his natural face is just sort of like i want to take away the mutants rights that's my whole purpose on life in, in life like it's just sort of like this isn't the x-men are you inhuman are you a sociopath what's wrong with you what's going on it yeah i don't yeah, he, he just his resting face is very much evil villain from a fictional story to me. I, I like he could play almost any character. Definitely. On that side of the table. I also want to note that this is the point where the fly fiance 
landed on his head. So the fact that, you know, again, we're having this discussion about like racial justice and he's being a terrible person and he's showing what kind of shit bag he is and a fly lands on his head like he is a literal pile of shit and stays there. I think that that is very, you know, I think I feel like that that's saying something like the universe is speaking to us in that moment. I think just like, yeah, way to go fly. Uh, you chose the right one this time. I mean, I'm not saying Hillary Clinton was the wrong one. I think they, they all deserve flies. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was definitely the fly added some spice to an otherwise uh, rough debate. So leaving office uh, once again brought up once again not our not the most hopeful conclusions. Kamala Harris chose to open with like Biden is supported by war criminals, Republicans, Republican war criminals. It's amazing the coalition we brought that's together. Accent. That's an accent. What'd you say? I just want to say that's an oxymoron. <laughs> no, it's just yeah. It it was just such a weird response to like. What if uh, Trump doesn't leave office? You know who supports us? Some murderous motherfuckers from the Republican Party. Which, like, honestly... I actually would have felt better if she had said that because we'd be like, okay, maybe they're ready to get him out of office. Instead, they think, like, the spirit of Colin Powell at the end of his life force will somehow ward off the impending uh, presidency of Donald Trump. Like, we're going to dig into this, or you're just going to dig into this more. I'll try to cut it short so I don't take all the points. But the, once again, the appeal to if you just vote, he'll go away. If you just vote, it'll be fine. If you just vote, it'll be good. And the question was explicitly, what do you do if that doesn't work? And she never addressed that. Like, I also understand that would be a political bomb if she was like, we will contest the election. We will stand, like... The Democrats have painted themselves into such a corner of trusting institutions and trusting in the state and trusting in the, like these policies that are built to support r- racist capitalism <laughs> that they're in this position where now they have to pretend that they really believe in these rules. And maybe they do, but like, I hope they're just pretending because they shouldn't really believe in these rules. And he's, yeah, they're, they're, the administration is all but saying we will ignore these results unless they are extremely on one side like 80% for right. um yeah yeah i feel like that is i feel like that was an opportunity i don't know exactly how to say it but i feel like that was a grand opportunity to be like look you know once the american people speak we must do blah 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 and make sure that you know their voices are heard and that you know whoever wins on november 3rd you know occupies you know the white house or something like that like again i don't know exactly how to say it but i feel like that was a grand opportunity to be very tough and to say like you know okay no matter what they do we have a plan or we know what we're going to do if and when trump contests the election and refuses to leave office so that was obviously a little bit disappointing but then of course you know, Mike Pence, he could not answer the question. I don't even know what, I literally don't know what he even said. I think I blacked out when he yeah. was talking. <laughs> I literally do not remember what he said, but I know that he didn't answer the question. He was like, I don't think we're not going to win. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's exactly what he said. He was like, I believe we're going to win. So basically like F your question. Cause it's not even going to like come to pass. And I'm like, you can't like we're asking specifically if you do not win the election 
your little boss man has said that he's not leaving. So what are y'all going to do? Like, are you going to sit there and basically back him up and be like, yeah, we not leaving. Or are you going to like accept the results, the will of the American people and pack your bags and take your little happy ass home? Yeah. There's, there's, there's so much there. I think the approach there in some ways I would have taken would be to bring up the 2000 election and be like, the Democrats were wrong to concede that election so soon and under so much duress. They should have held out and made sure that the American people were heard in a process that was cut short. I think that's a really concise message you could send that doesn't really step outside the norms of the system. And that really, yeah, I think pushes a very legitimate point. It was like, we're going to make sure the American people's voice is heard. If that takes a week, if that takes a month, we're going to make sure it's heard. That seems like a really good approach as opposed to being like, if you just vote, you'll be heard. So I think that brings up the point, like for the past 20 years, right? I was talking to somebody else about this. It may have been you, Ian, I don't, I don't remember, but the reason why Al Gore conceded was because they Democrats always try to keep this sense of normalcy while the right is forever trying to push things. For Really, the right creates a sense of normalcy and where, wherever they're at. And there's this, and it's a weird, again, duality of like Trump is not normal and we need to get back to normal. But even though things aren't normal, we need to act like things will be normal. If we, if we just keep acting normal, things will fall into place because this isn't right. And for whatever reason, they believe the, the die falls or the, I forget what the, the actual saying is, but like the world will fall back into, into place when literally you have the Republicans doing everything that they can to not allow that to happen, right? Uh, Which happened back in 2020 when Al Gore was like, we don't need, even though it wasn't like civil war level, right? It was just like, oh, this is super weird. We should do something about this, but it's okay. It's, we had our eight years. Let's just let this one go and we'll come back for the next time, right? where this time Trump is like, no, I don't care how many years it is, I'm getting mine. And nobody, and everybody's like, oh, the worst thing that could happen is he gets another four years, right? Definitely. And I mean, again, this is a little bit off topic, but this is a man who was talking about another four years and then another four years and then another four years. Like, obviously it's imperative that we get him out of the the White House, but like, I don't really know if people realize how crucial it is because right now we're worried about, Oh, well, he might not concede if he loses this election, but like, even if if he, God forbid, wins this election, like there's a really good chance. I believe that this man would try to stay in office for the rest of his life. So. I, yeah, I think, I think there's a danger there. I think there's a question around this part of, what is more dangerous in some ways, like a movement that fails in public or a movement that feels as though it was denied. And I I think that there is a chance that the Democrats are so incompetent that no matter what happens with the election, who becomes president, to be honest, even who becomes president, the Republicans who come out of this winning. Four years of Joe Biden, eight years of Joe Biden, I'm not convinced that's making an argument with much of the American people that the Democrats of a viable alternative. And then, like I was saying earlier, the next Trump, eight years later, I don't think Trump's going to be alive. Um, And so like the next Trump potentially being 
actually an intelligent person who understands how to weld those two things, weld a intelligent politics with a populist appeal and a flexibility, that, that ends up being a lot scarier. And so I think that there's, that's honestly with getting into who we're voting for. stuff. So that's why I'm kind of stepping away in some ways on the voting side from the political contest or from the presidential contest is just because I'm starting to see those as the same path with just sort of like a different, a different middle chapter um, in some ways. And I don't see the Democrats presenting the kind of transformative change that reaches deep into people's lives and improves them that will move us away from a path that leads towards authoritarianism. Um, and I think there are a lot of paths, there's a lot of options and exit ramps from authoritarianism that we can take, but their Democrats seem intent currently on not taking them. Um, and so that that's like, I'm not, Trump's gonna die. He's not taking care of himself. He's already got a deadly disease. It is an exciting fact that he, I think he will be dead in the next eight years, regardless of how much access to medical science he has. But yeah, I, I think the, the scary thing is, is that the Democrats, the most they can hope for is that he dies. Like they don't, they appear incapable of presenting a real alternative. Yeah, I mean, following along on your tangent before I bring us back, like I was never afraid of Trump. I think Trump is to not, you know, be terrible, just very unintelligent. Trump is just not <laughs> where it's at. But Trump has a lot of smart, rich people around him who can pay for way more intelligent people than them to do what they need done. And if you looked at Trump's cabinet, at least when he first started, it was knockout to like take America to like a Republican's wet dream, or if they are allowed to have those. I don't know how Christian sensibilities work, but the problem is that trump gets in his own or gets in the republicans way but like yeah he gets in his own way and he needs to be the star so anybody steve from steve bannon to whoever else you look at can't do much harm because trump is going to stop them so that he can be the biggest face in the room which yeah it goes to a scarier part of like what happens now that people have had the last four years to study what being Trump looks like and how to like take that and mold it into something that actually works without all the ego uh, is the really scary part. And those same people who got to touch power, got to be Steve Bannon literally got, was he a special, uh, special advisor? He got to like know national secrets without being elected and then got to go home and like probably there's probably like no NDAs, no nothing. Like nobody knows, really nobody knows what Steve Bannon is doing right now, but this man has probably just as many secrets as Obama had, as Obama currently has now that he's out of office. Right. Um, which is a scary, <laughs> scary thought. And these people are definitely going to get a second try when whoever the next person up comes up and they'll probably be right behind them if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, that whole section for me was weird because I've been like, it, Ian's been talking about this for the longest time about how like, oh, if Democrats are just like, if you vote harder, everything will be okay. I was like, ah, it's not that bad. And after seeing this tonight, I was like, oh, they really are just like, not saying it. They're not gonna dispute this. And I think, like you said, there could have been like, oh, we had, they could have gone the road of, oh, we have a plan, 
or like every ad that they put out these days, they could have been like, what does it look like if a Trump presidency actually doesn't step down? Because right now he's just like, I don't think I'm going to lose and we're going to hold, we're going to hold, we're going to fight this in every way. But what does that look like? Does that look like Trump executing all of the electoral college voters? Like, does that look like a hostile takeover of the White House? Does that look like everybody was scared that we were going to have a, what was, what's it called when the government, uh, when they. A coup? No, uh, martial law. Everybody was scared. Like, Oh, martial law is coming. We're going to get martial law because of COVID. Like, does that, does this look like Trump actually enacting martial law? Like, does this look like him actually closing all businesses down and stopping like travel between places? Because right now Trump is trying to hold on to power. Like they could have painted that picture. And that's an actual belief. What does it look like when democracy fails? I feel like that would have been, because they keep hinting at it and being like, Trump is terrible on like every political ad. But like that, that looks real to me. And I feel like that's what they should have done. Yeah, I just like your line of like, even if she had said something like, yeah, this, you know, if that happens, then this is what it looks like when democracy fails. Or even having, just having the conversation, having the conversation around, well, the, you know, current president is talking about not leaving. Like that in itself is a failure of our democracy. Like it should have never gotten to the point where that was even, uh, in our president's head and of course he shouldn't have been president um but also just to the point that both of you made about like trump kind of being the prototype of like a a republican like wet dream somebody who has again the the populist appeal um and ideology that trump has but like actually with a brain that is definitely the end game um and that's terrifying and i can see in the near future uh, some candidate, you know, being put up and like that being like Trump 2.0. Yeah, I, th- I think the Republican Party has embraced their radical wing and the Democrat, the Democratic Party has exiled it. I think that's a dangerous position for a, uh, when the radical wing of the Republicans is fascism, that's a dangerous position for our democracy, quote unquote, to be in. Um, I think we should really turn now to the most important question, uh, which was posed by an amazing uh, Mormon eighth grader. I don't know if they're a Mormon. They're from Mormon land. Um, Their name was Breckland. They said, why couldn't we all be friends? And if, uh, if politicians couldn't be friends, why, how can they expect all the rest of us to be friends? These are the questions that I feel like we really need to draw in in this dark time are why can't we be friends with the people proposing martial law and a racial, a racist ethno state? Uh, if we just high fived, wouldn't, wouldn't things be better? Uh, I don't mean to shit on this eighth grader, but that was Wait, a stupid real quick. question. This eighth grader <laughs> exists. Cause now that you say that, I feel like they had a question, this same question last debate, like when Hillary and Trump were on stage. And- it's, a, it's a statistics thing. If you ask enough people, you'll get the question you want to ask, and then you can right. blame it came from the people. Right. 
we, like Kamala's response was whatever. I don't even, I honestly don't even remember. Even in like in talking about like what is the next Trump 2.0 look like, I think it definitely looks like Pence in that he was basically like, don't believe the media. Even in saying like, you know, sometimes like things are terrible, but like this is democracy. He's like, but don't believe the media is lying. Like what you see on the news is is terrible and just all lies. Which was like, yo, yeah. like he like put that in very smoothly and like in a way that like, oh yeah, I could believe that, but also like probably not coming from you though. Right. I totally agree with that. Yes, he definitely said you know, what you may see in the media, basically, like, don't believe that. And he said that we may have different opinions, but at the end of the day, we all work together. That was a lie. Like, they are not, you know, a bipartisan type of, of administration. There's, that's a, a straight up lie. Um, so, and, you know, I think that Kamala brought it back to, you know, Joe Biden working across the aisle, which say what you will about that. But at least you can say like, that's actually true for Pence to say, oh no, we all come together at the end of the day. No, we don't. Yeah. Sorry, Brecklin. Uh, come with better questions. Yeah. But also I blame the moderator for picking that question. I'm like, really? That was the best question that you could come up with? Like, why can't we all be friends? And if our politicians, like, also our president is like a serial sexual offender and, you know, he doesn't pay his taxes and he's beholden to Russia. Like, are the rest of us supposed to act like that? Like, I really need her to think critically like you're in eighth grade you're old enough to know that that was a dumb question and that's like a dumb way to to approach things like it's kind of it was just yeah you brought up something that i forgot to bring up earlier but also it was a stupid pivot like i hate that they ended on that question i'm like what happens if democracy fails moving on why can't we be friends <laughs> like what but also there was this whole thing earlier on when they were talking about like, oh, what happens if the president dies? It got this thing like, why haven't we been able to see any of the president's health records and eventually moved into like the taxes? And like, I feel like Kamala let them go way too easily on like Donald Trump owes $400 million to somebody. We have no idea. I know people who would break my legs over $40. Why does, like, why are we not talking about this? You got some aggressive fucking friends, Greg. I wouldn't call them <laughs> friends, but. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like, that is just so ridiculous. And I don't know what Pence's response to that was, but you literally can't respond to that. Like, it's a fact. And I think that he said something about Trump playing, paying millions of dollars in taxes. Like, you know that that's not what we're talking about. He also said that the $750 figure was a lie from the media. And I'm like, that's not a lie. I absolutely believe it. So uh, we can't all be friends. Is that our conclusion here? Is that the yeah. end of the debate? Not yes. when it's talking about, you know, uh, what's, what's the thing they keep saying? They keep saying a lot of shit, Greg. About healthcare, uh, pre-existing conditions. We can't be friends about pre-existing conditions. Right. We can't be friends about the value of the lives of minorities. Yes. Uh, we can't be friends about you not paying your fair share. Basically, this whole tax thing is like, 
we all go out to eat at dinner. We get the salads and you get the steak. And then you're like, ah, guys, I had a water with that steak. And I was the one that drove us here. So I don't think I should have to pay. Period. Even though we drove here and you made us pay you for gas to get here. (laughs) I mean, and also the actual scale of that is that, like, they have 700 steaks and you have one leaf of lettuce. Like, (laughs) yeah, no. Ooh. This one, though, to compare, was less scary than the other ones, but like also, like, it probably has like larger ramifications for like the future of America. But I don't feel the need to like prepare my bug out bags for this one. Yeah. Not looking forward to American politics, even if uh, we don't end up in a civil war. Right. One thing that I'm noticing just in people's reactions and like even some of my like white colleagues is that they were talking about how like Kamala was smiling a lot. And um, like I saw some kind of um, like talking heads talking about the fact that she was kind of reserved and she wasn't like she wasn't in attack mode. And I just want to say that um you know, she's a black woman in America. Like, I know that I say that a lot, but it's the truth. And my colleague, who is also a black woman, said um, of her smile, she said, that's the smile of a black woman who can't say what she wants to say, or she will be deemed angry. So you smile to suppress your anger, even when you're more qualified, skilled, and educated than the white dude that's being condescending AF, and you could eat him alive, but that would reflect negatively on you. So you smile. And I just want people to kind of understand that. I think that a lot of people said that they expected Kamala to, you know, push back on a lot more points or to be a little bit more, you know, feisty or whatever. But like, honestly, she's a black woman in America. She's a black woman in politics. She knows how this goes. She knows that automatically um, she could have stepped on that stage and she could have, you know, read Bible verses and people still would have said that she was an angry black woman. So I just want people to keep that in mind when we're talking about Kamala. Also, I want to shout out the fact that Kamala is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I am also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So if throughout this you were listening and you heard me defending Kamala Harris a lot and you're like, why is she doing that? I got to tell you, it's because she's my sorority sister. So, skiwi. Yeah, no, I, I think as one of those as one of those white colleagues who was sort of like, this smiling thing is getting unnerving for these candidates. I, I can dig that. I think if she can convince Joe Biden to stop smiling in a terrifying manner at everybody in his life. Yeah, J- Joe Biden's is definitely a more frightening one. Um, so yeah, that that's, I guess, my deal there. <laughs> yeah, I think this debate in general is just sort of, uh underwhelming uh it i think kamala harris proved that she is smarter than mike pence i don't know if that is a particularly like in doubt thing before this debate i don't know if it was a particularly huge victory she missed some opportunities to i think push further i also think she didn't want to take some of those opportunities because she just doesn't agree with me and other people that i care about but yeah i think i i still have real I think I am less terrified from this debate as I was from the last one to to quote or to like paraphrase Greg, but I'm not really encouraged about the future of our democracy by the way the Democrats are handling the situation. Um, and this debate didn't change that. 
yeah, yeah. They still seem like people who think the rules will somehow just re-engage after Trump leaves office. And I think that seems unlikely. For more of my thoughts on that subject, please go back to past episodes, like and subscribe, download all the things. Greg, you got to sign off. Uh, yeah, no, just very low energy, not low energy, but not what I was looking forward to um, from Kamala for whatever reason. Uh, and I think it's shown that I think people back in 2016, like Pence is going to mellow Trump out and the presidency is going to mellow Pence out or and mellow Trump out. But instead, I think Trump has rubbed off on Pence and it's shown. And we, this was like the debate that was supposed to like show that Kamala was going to bring the energy and she didn't. Uh, so I'm kind of, dis- I'm just disappointed a bit in Kamala's performance and just disappointed that this wasn't really a discourse, but more of a, I don't know, just two people on their soapboxes kind of doing their thing. It's separate from each yeah. other. Well, hopefully, uh, I, I won't say hopefully you watch the debate. I think hopefully you listen to this podcast um, and maybe watch some of the debate. Catch some clips. Maybe don't endure the whole thing. If you did watch the whole debate, I hope you listened to this podcast and got something out of it. Um, I enjoyed talking about it with each of y'all. Um, I will have it on the record that I did not suggest this. It was brought up by Greg. Um, and then I was like, sure, I guess I could do this. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to do more of these. I don't know if we'll do every debate. That seems like a lot, even though there are still, there are still two more debates. Go, right? um, oh. oh, also check out the, what was it? Fan cast? What, was, what did I say? Oh, FanDuel. They're having, uh, you can bet on FanDuel. what the candidates will say next. So if you want to try to make some money, hop on over to FanDuel. FanDuel. We're not sponsored by anybody. I just think that's a weird fucking thing to be on FanDuel. Um, but yeah, this has been Weeks When Podcasts Happen. We'll have another episode at some point. Greg is going to jump in one more time. Funny joke that I heard. Uh, if you are not black, you should not repeat this joke, though. But some are saying that that fly was Pence's only black friend. And I thought that was hilarious. But this is only for the folks who are melis, mel, uh, melanated. Melanated. Yeah. So, you know, leave that one <laughs> at home. You yeah. There should be and more content warning on jokes for uh, white people. We, we struggle to differentiate. I think there should be more just sort of like, no, don't try. Well, yeah, once again, this has been uh, Weeks When Podcasts Happen. We'll probably have another one. Maybe next week. Maybe we'll be exhausted. Who knows if they'll both agree to a debate next week. Um, I'm also planning other episodes. We'll, we'll talk about things. But, yeah, thanks for stopping by. No, Trump will have air in his lungs. Yeah, who knows week. if Trump will be able to breathe next week. Um, right now, he's hopped up on so many steroids. It's kind of inspiring, his level of tweeting and caps lock combined but yeah thank you all both for hopping on and we'll talk to y'all soon